Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Wednesday meeting of Overeaters Anonymous, special focus 100 pounders. It is Wednesday, the 15th of December, 2021. And today I am absolutely delighted to have Mark M with us, who's going to share his experience, strength and hope. Mark lives most of the time in Connecticut, but spends a lot of time in Quebec as well, which I think is where he is today. So, Mark, I will let you take it away to um, tell us your story. Thank you so much, Rita. You are so lovely. And as all of you are, this is a great, just lovely meeting here. Um, so hi, I'm Mark. I'm an abstinent compulsive overeater and food addict. Uh, hopefully you all can hear me okay. Um, uh, I will start off with a little bit of qualification. I was 519 pounds when I came into this program on April 18, 2007. That is my, April 18, 2007 is my abstinence date. And I think just to make it easy, I'll just go ahead and put a picture up here, right? I was going to maybe co-host and bring it up on the screen, but this is sort of, this is my picture. Well, maybe we got so many people, maybe I will. I, I take that back. Maybe you all can't see it this way. So um, I'm going to share my, I don't see a share thing button on here though. Um, oh, there it is. Got it. Sorry. So here is my, here is my picture. Right, so um, <clears throat> the picture on the right, that's when I came into the program. That was pretty much like a day after maybe, I think. Um, okay, so so that's my kind of qualification. I, I always start off saying, look, this is my story, my experience, strength and hope. Um, uh, it's the only thing I have to offer. Please take what you need and leave the rest. Um, what I was like, uh, you know, I, I, I always start this off prenatally. Uh, it just kind of the way I was told to do, you know, my, this disease was in my family before I even was born. Um, my father's an alcoholic, my mother's a compulsive overeater and a compulsive overeater. She took me to my first pay and way. I have many people in my family with diabetes and that have this disease. Um, again, as always, I say, you know, hey, they were doing the best they could. It's up to me to stop the cycle. Right. That's the really important thing. That's the only thing I need to know about that part, that it is that it is a, a disease that continues unless I sort of stop the cycle in some way, or at least on my wing of the family tree. Um, my childhood, we were a very close family physically, but not very emotionally. Um, there was a lot of absence in my family, a lot of uh, lack of intimacy in some ways. I mean, we were, we, we were, we talked and we were close, but in some ways there were so many things that we didn't say, so many things that we didn't share. My father was gone a lot of time. He was in his disease a lot of time. Um, that kind of set out a, a piece of absence with ab absence within me, a piece of abandonment within me. But again, um, you know, this is just what happened to me. I am the result, like it says in the Freedom from Bondage book uh, uh, chapter and in, in the big book, I am the result of what happened, of how I reacted to what happened to me as a child, right? So, and I always think that that's, that there's, that kind of taking that even a little further, what I'm doing now is part of that. So I am the result of how I reacted to what happened to me as a child, what I am doing now is part of that and it is saving my life. So, um, <clears throat> so in high school, I, I, I think the biggest thing I can kind of talk about there is that, you know, like it was in the ninth grade that I went to my first pay and way. I was 200 pounds. I was four foot something. I don't know. Certainly not as tall as I am now. Um, I weighed, I weighed 200 pounds. I went to a pay and way. I remember thinking, you know, obviously like anything that this was going to, 
my mom took me. So it wasn't like this was something that I decided to do. But when I got into it, um, I, I lost weight. Um, and um, uh, I will say, I always, I always talk about how, you know, coming from a person who the majority of my life, I felt like I didn't measure up, that I was not okay. You know, that was a big piece underneath all of my dialogue in my head around there. I, I think I built a whole personality around that, the way I interact with people, my manners and the expressions, everything was built around that part, the patterns of behaviors that I was in. And so what was interesting in that first pay and way is when I was losing weight, people were giving me accolades and losing weight. And that was a heady thing for someone who, number one, isolated himself for most of his life. And number two, who didn't think that he was good enough. So it was an interesting thing in the middle of that. And, um, but yet, you know, I remember getting, I remember losing that weight, getting down to like, I lost 50 pounds, I was down to 150 pounds. And I thought everything was going to be different. Right. I, I, there was actually a lightness that, that was lifted from me in that point. But, but here's the thing. I always, I always use this metaphor you know, those undersea pictures where they have like, where they're, where they're showing like reefs and stuff and they have octopus out there and, and sort of, you see when, when something threatens them, they go in a hole. So as soon as I came out from losing that weight, I reached out, tried to get myself in the life that I wasn't really sure that I was actually even a part of. And when it didn't go the way I thought it was going to go, I just sucked right back in that hole. And I remember in that moment, in that moment, in that time, this was like the, the summer of my ninth, my ninth grade, I remember saying to myself, maybe not consciously, but almost making this decision that I was never going to have the things that everybody else had. I didn't go out on dates. I didn't have a big group of friends. I didn't, you know, I didn't really socialize with a lot of people. I was very isolated. And I just figured I wouldn't have those things. And then I went about setting off, making it happen right? You know, I got very good at living at the, living with the crumbs that I gave myself for 42 years of my life. That was my journey, right? So, so anyway, um, lost the weight, gained it back, went up to 250 pounds, lost that weight. When I was getting ready to go into college, I was 175 pounds. I, I always say when I went into college, you know, one of the things, this whole concept of not being good enough, it's like, I remember being frustrated when they would present a topic to me in school and being frustrated that I didn't really know that topic, that I really didn't understand it. I mean, here I am coming into school to learn something, and yet I'm feeling ashamed that I, that I don't understand what they're talking about. I can't get it. Nevertheless, with me just sort of immersing myself in and having fun and getting into it and learning that, but I basically would just put that on as up. See, that's Mark. That's just something you don't know. And, and the thing about college is I was out of that home that I lived in where I had to hide a lot more, a lot of food. Uh, I, the underneath our couch downstairs were bowls and bags and things where I stuffed them under there trying to hide. Cause I always ate in secret. I ate in the woods around our house. Um, you know, but, but being off in college, I had a space where I could actually do it, you know, go up, shut the doors, hole up, turn off all the lights and just eat. And, and, um, and so I would go into school, be challenged with the stuff that, that, you know, this work that they were giving me, this learning that I was being offered, this opportunity, this great opportunity to grow. And I remember talking, I've been having some discussions with my therapist about stopping short. And that's kind of what my life was like. 
I'd be presented something, but I would stop short. And then what would I do? See, I'm not good enough. It was validation of that. Now, this is all a lie, by the way. Those things I'm telling you about, about uh, what I think I can get out of life, what I think I can have, this is lies because I'm operating on self-reliance, right? There's no higher power in part of this. This is just me. When I was little, my mom said that I used to, uh, I used to put my hands on my hips and stomp my little feet, she'd say, and she'd say, I'd do it my known self. Right. And that that's how I live life, trying to do it on my own and and thinking that I had to, because, you know, when I was young, I was kind of I'm almost felt alone. Right. But that was somewhat because I didn't reach out. That's a lot of what this program was, is reaching out. That means taking actions. That means getting out there in life and immersing myself. So anyway, so I got out of college. I was 300 pounds. So I went into college. 175, came out of college, 300 pounds. That's essentially the pattern of my life. Losing weight, gaining it back, going beyond that weight I did, losing that weight, gaining it back, going beyond. Now, at that point, coming out of college, I got my first job, right? So here I, here I am. I'm in this, this first job that I've got, and now I'm on my own, and I also have money, right? So I've got money. <laughs> right you know i've got more money let's just put it that way because i have a salary i've got uh, a place to stay and i remember if i was going to give you a quick snapshot of my life it was this show up super super early in the morning like four or five o'clock in the morning at work just to get a start on work so that i could basically prove to other people that i was okay that basically that I that they didn't hire somebody that was false that they're gonna find they're gonna find out. This is a lot of what my thing was. They're gonna find out that who they hired was a lie, right? So I get up super early in the morning. I work when when the sun came up. I got to the point where anxiety started when the sun came up. Normally the sun comes up, you're a happy person, but for me that's when everybody else came in, and I was always constantly in a position of managing other people's perceptions of myself. That is a defect cluster for me that is huge. And basically I went about that process of, of, of doing that. And, and what happened in the moment, my energy was drained constantly because I'm in the middle of things I don't need to be in the middle of. I'm trying to control things that I can't control. Talk about powerlessness, right? And so what I would do is at the end of the day, after all of that stuff, after all of that concept, and this is a typical day, I would drive home, gather up all my resources on the way, shut the door, lock it, turn off all the lights, sit in front of the TV and just eat. And I, I'm, you know, Pete, I remember the first time I heard somebody say my portion control is bag, box and cart. I said, that's me. And then I thought about it. No, it's whatever I could get my hands on. It's whatever I could get my hands on because if it was there, I'd have eaten it. Right. And if I had the gumption to even go out and get more or pick up the phone and call food in or go through a drive through or whatever the deal is, anything that I could do. I mean, I guess in some ways that's where my physicality part maybe came in and helped me a little bit because, you know, most of the time I'm eating until I can't walk. So thank God. I think I think if if I didn't have the physical uncomfort of it, I would have just kept on. I don't have a shut off 
I don't have that. Anyway, so I, I remember I remember like waking up in the morning. This was in Atlanta when I was in Atlanta, Georgia. And I would wake up, I would come in after the whole weekend, like a weekend of that. That's what my week was about. After a weekend of that, I'd come out and the light would be so bright when I come out. It's like a bat coming out of a cave, right? You know, and I'd start and do it all over again. And so, so after college, 300 pounds, but at that point, it pretty much just went up. Brought me to 1998 of working that way, uh, having a partnership with somebody and him basically trying to kind of keep the business going when all I did was we worked out of a loft space and I, that was my loft space and he came in and we had a space for work and I would just get up, walk 12 feet to my desk, sit down and that's pretty much where I stayed. I get up, walk 10 feet to a car, went out and anything I could get where I didn't have to get out of the car was great. And if I had to go in a grocery store, I hung on to dear life of those carts you know, because I couldn't really kind of keep myself upright. And I was 525 pounds during that period. That was the highest weight I ever weighed myself. And it could have been more than that, seriously. But that was just because then I weighed myself at that point. So I, I you know, there's a passage in Freedom from Bondage, which is one of my favorite stories. The, the big book has got so many great stories, but for some reason, there's a lot of pieces that resonate with me. And the thing that made my willpower possible, and this is what I was talking about with the work situation, the thing that made the willpower possible was the knowledge that as soon as the day was finished, I could drink, of course, in my case, eat myself into oblivion. Inside, though, I was scared to death. Maybe I wouldn't be able to hold any job. And that's what it was for me, work life for me, right? So what happened? What did that, what happened there? So, so I was 190, it was 1998. I was 525 pounds. I moved back home, stopped work. I mean, totally. Cause I called my dad. I'm like, I don't know what to do. And we're going to close this company. He's like, why don't you come home for a while? Right. So I moved home. I stopped work. My focus was I'm going to lose this weight. What did I do? Paying way. It's all I've ever done, which is really was a food plan, maybe a little support, maybe a little guidance and things like that. And it was great. I mean, listen, I'm not, I'm not putting anything down, but for me, it wasn't going to work because I'm a compulsive overeater. For other people can, but for me, it didn't. Because what I did not do is I did not abstain from those foods that caused me to eat compulsively, nor did I expand my spiritual life. So how is that going to work? It's going to work the same way as it always did. So from May of 1998 to December, I lost 150 pounds, Right. You know, um, but I shut everything off. I shut life off to do this. Not the greatest way to do it. So, so, um, uh, but at that point I, I started getting, I had shut work off and I started getting work and I started getting other things and little other things. So now it's like, oh yeah, okay. So I got work now. So this is, it's going to solve everything. And, and I went right back to the same things I did. Insanity, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. Right. I'm like, I got this. I lost 150 pounds. Everything's solved. I'm going to go back into this stuff. So wasn't long after that. I basically, I'm just going to kind of really kind of zoom forward here. Around 2006, I was in the hospital. Um, uh, and I thought that I was having a heart attack. Um, and by the way, it took me, I was having these kind of feelings, these, these heart palpitations for a long time. And I thought it was, and so it was like maybe three months 
took me three months to get in the hospital. You'd think, you know, if I thought it was a heart attack, I would have acted sooner, but that's the way I do. So, or did. So I was in the hospital and I was standing, there were three doctors in front of me, a cardiac surgeon, a general practitioner, and a pulmonary doctor. You know, that's a lot of money right there. And they are basically saying, I didn't realize it was an intervention until maybe when I came in the program, (laughs) but they were saying, if you don't stop what you're doing, you're going to die. And I remember being scared, but not of the dying. If I was going to be honest with you, I was scared of what they were asking me to do to give up my friend. I was also scared about the focus on me that they knew, right? To me, what they were saying was, you're bad. They weren't in any way, shape or form, but that's that's how I saw. I was locked in the bondage of self, right? So, So, but I remember telling myself, okay, they're gonna give me, they gave me a food plan and I told myself, I'm gonna do it this time. A month after that, I was in a hotel room eating enough food for probably eight to 12 people until I couldn't walk. But with a really good point of this, a really good piece here is that for the first time in my life, I actually said, I can't, that I need to get help with this. I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't know how I was going to do it. And I, from that point, I went up upon a journey. It wasn't the fastest journey. <laughs> it took me all the way to, that was like, uh, April, June, maybe uh, of 2006. And it took me getting around to, to February of 2007. And I got a therapist because I didn't really know. I, I called away at one point. I don't think it was at this time. I think it might've been earlier. And I never got a call back. And, and I say to this day, thank God, because I came in the way I needed to come in. I don't think I was ready. I think I still needed to go out there and try some more controlled drinking, I think, some controlled eating for me, right? So so anyway, I got a therapist and I said, I think I need to go somewhere. She supported me on that. You know, I ended up going to a treatment center. Um, uh, it took me until April. It was April 18th, my first day in there. And I remember too, that they were, he was, the day before I came in, I was sitting out with one of the persons, that, one of the the people in charge and they were, we were talking about the steps because I didn't know, because they said, we believe strongly in this. And, and I was sitting out there and they were walking me through it. And I remember, and this was before I really even checked in. It was right before that time I dropped some stuff off and, and he started talking through the steps and he's talking about steps eight and nine. And that scared me so much. I started crying. I'm sitting here on a step with this guy or sitting on a bench with this guy and he's talking about this stuff. So I then proceeded to get in the car, go, go and to the hotel. I dropped off the car because I did a one-way car thing because I knew me. I needed to, you know, and then I was going to get another car on the way back. Anyway, point being is that I cried all the way there. I checked myself into the hotel. I went out to get something to eat. I was walked over to a restaurant that was close to the hotel. I remember myself sitting there talking to this person and I said, and, and I'm ordering food to go. And I said, in front of her, as I'm ordering and looking at the menu, I wonder what she wants. And there's nobody else with me. I'm saying this so in front of her, I can order two meals, full meals with all kinds of things as if I'm having some sort of a party of some way. And then I grabbed all that food, went back to the hotel, 
thought about all of the people that I had wronged. Here I am. I'm not even in the program. I'm doing step step nine already, right? Which is craziness. That's just me, you know? And, and then I ate all that food. But I, I'm going to say this. Whatever happened in that moment added up to equal when I stepped in the doors that next day, the gift of desperation, G-O-D. Because when I went in there, I did what they said. I had not ever done that before. So that was probably one of the first signs that my higher power was with me in this moment. The second sign was, was the love, loving gifts that people around me in the same place where I was were, were offering to me. Their experience, strength, and hope, their support. Um, that first night I was in the treatment, we had to go to a meet, an OA meeting. The first time, first time I ever went into an OE meeting, and there were 60 people in that room. And I remember the moment when it came up to, uh, are there any newcomers? And I said, hi, I'm Mark. And then 60 people said, hi, Mark. That was another moment where my higher power came into my life, like much more consciously than ever before. And then right after that, they were talking about God and, and I, you know, I was just probably spiritually, spiritually apathetic is the only way I can put it. I just never really sought it. I, I resisted it in some way. It wasn't like a strong agnostic, but for me, I had no concept of it. I just did. And, and I remember, but I did run from it. And I remember them saying a God of your, your understanding. And for whatever reason, I heard that because God entered in again and I said I can do that and then I set off on a journey right I got a food plan that dealt with and by the way you know one thing I didn't talk about was was what kind of condition I was in when I was in there you guys could get but real quickly I could barely walk I couldn't buckle the seat belt in my car I was too big to fit in seats at movie theaters and booths and restaurants you know, I was at some event at one point. I broke a chair in the middle of like 100 people. They got me another chair. I felt that one was starting to break. I got up and stood up the whole rest of the hour of this event. Uh, I isolated myself terribly out of shame. I was unable to really truly even administer self-care, cleaning. Right? I'll just stop it at that part. So so what happened when I, my, you know, this first part coming in, I, you know, at this part, I really like to go to our 12 and 12, because there's some really important things that say, I've highlighted eight things in there that I keep with me and keep important. The first thing is we came to OA. So finally, for the first time in my life, I came to a place where actually I can get help because listen, food is not my problem. It was not my problem. And it isn't my problem. Food was my answer. It just happened to be an answer that was killing me. The problem is powerlessness. You guys have probably heard this before. The solution is a power greater than myself. How do I get that power? Through a program of action. Me taking those actions to get to this place, to start this process, to start this journey. This was me doing step three and I didn't even know it. Action is a concrete form of surrender, of willingness, right? And if I have no willingness, I have no program. So we came to OA. Then we must abstain from all foods and eating behaviors that cause us to eat compulsively. For me, 
I got in this place. I got a nutritionist that got this disease. I got that delivered to me. I don't know that I would have known how to do it myself, to be honest with you. I just was locked in the bondage of self. And I'm grateful to this day that I was given it. And it included all of that. And I didn't have to deal with it. Had, it had, you know, for me, I tend to not eat, I don't eat sugar and flour um, and foods that have the word starch in it, like cornstarch. Um, I basically eat it every, at, at every three hours. I have a certain time schedule. I weigh and measure everything. Even when I'm out, I got a little scale that unfolds. Um, I don't, you know, I don't know how much I weigh because I get on the scale blindly and send it to my nutritionist. I even have a scale now that does that. And it doesn't tell me what it is. It just says, great job, got on scale. And it sends it, she gets it and she's in a whole nother state and it's a beautiful thing. So, but the point is, is like my food plan, you know, it has boundaries. I didn't have boundaries before and it has boundaries. And that helps me because then I know when I'm getting enough food and when I'm not, I know when I'm, you know, that I'm, God gave me, God gave me a, God gave me a body that requires a certain amount of traditions and that's it. No greater than, no less than. It's not about deprivation. It's not about gluttony. And I stay in that. And then that means if I'm hungry, guess what's happening? It's not that I'm not getting enough to eat. It's what's eating me. There is a lot of power in that, right, for me. So the next piece in, the, in, our, in our step one is an honest look at our lives. We are encouraged to take a good look at our compulsive eating, obesity, obsession with food and body image, and the destructive things we've done to avoid obesity, the dieting, starving, over-exercising, or purging. We honestly examine our histories. That's important. For the first time in my life, in this particular, thank you very much, Allison. Thank you. In this particular time in my life, I got a chance to, for the first time, to really look at this. I'm a person that, that basically is good at living with crumbs he gives himself, which means I'm not really looking at anything. I got very good at burying my head in the sand. And so for the first time I wrote out my history, I wrote eight pages, I didn't erase anything. I just wrote it out. I had some cues on powerlessness and unmanageability. I use that with my sponsees now. And, and that, that first time I, I cried when I wrote it, especially the point when I got to where my nieces and nephews were. Because when we were there, I would go over there once a week, every, every week for a long time during the time when I was like, like 525 pounds. During that time, I, I started this process and, and engaging with them. And every time I was with them, I was teaching them to be compulsive. Everything had to do with around food. And then when they wanted to go play, I steered them in things that I could play sitting down. Right? So... So that whole piece helped me out tremendously. And one of the big thing, when I share it, and when I share my story, it takes power away from me, right? So the other part in this too is like, we admit, and this is really where it gets in the, we admitted we're powerless over food, an honest mission to ourselves and the reality of our condition. I had to be at that place and I was at that place. But then admitting I'm powerless over food, I had to find another power stronger than myself we need to find a new approach to life. And that is what this program has given me, right? So I, I, I'm going to go into this in kind of one way here. Like, you know, hope to me in this program now is I know what happens when I work this program. I know what happens when I don't work this program. We talk about the promises, right? In the big book, there's the promises and then there's the bedevilments, right? But another concept of that, another way of looking at that is, is actually take the promises and read it backwards. If I am not painstaking about this phase of my 
my development. I will not be amazed before I'm halfway through. But the other thing is take our steps and turn them backwards. Take our principles and turn them backwards. That basically gives me so much clarity. So let's talk about the principles. Honesty. What's the opposite of that? Dishonesty. Well, if I'm being dishonest, get where, guess where I am and guess what step I need to apply to that, right? So hope, what's up is that? Despair. You know, hope to me is that despair is like there's no solution. I'm caught. I'm stuck. I can't get anywhere. But there is a solution. I can be restored to sanity. And then comes faith. Now, this is interesting. What's the opposite of faith? Faith. <laughs> and the reason I say that is feelings aren't evidence of truth. They're evidence of what I'm putting my faith in. So in this moment, where's my faith? Is it in my higher power? Or is it in the faith of the lie? Is it in is the my faith in the lies that I'm telling myself about myself and the world around me? Right? I created a faith, a distorted belief system that guided every action I did. And now it's time. And and think about how powerful that is. I almost killed myself in that. I got up to 525 pounds at one point. If faith is that powerful in that direction, how powerful is it when I apply it to my higher power every day? Right? Um, and then you go to courage and opposite of courage, fear, right? Or taking action, right? Instead, you know, on life, right? That's usually what it is for me. And then integrity, willingness, humility. So anyway, the, the, the thing for me, the biggest piece for me is that I have a compass. I have a, a design for living that works in rough goings if I use it. And that is all I have to do these days, right? I pick out that 10th step. And right now, a lot of my work is around doing steps six and seven with my 10th step, right? And I'll tell you why. Because listen, the greatest gifts in this program can also be the greatest threats because I'm a person that lived in isolation. So I got, I got to have the life now. I'm not used to that life. I need a program for that. I need drug traditions to hand, to help me with, with, uh, with relationships. I need these steps to say abstinent. I got concepts. If I'm doing service, I got tools and I have one higher power and I get those things. If I use them, I get the gifts of those if I use them. But for me, a person that's isolated, I went from a place of shadow. And now I'm out in the sunlight of spirit. And sometimes it could be a little bright. My, only, my problems now, again, freedom from bondage, my problems now only come when I break out in a rash of self-will. And my 10 step, it helps me to learn from rather than deny my mistakes. Because I'm not always making mistakes, especially if I'm taking risks in recovery. If I'm step 10, 11, 12, our next function is to grow. And now I've come out of surviving and I'm then thriving. So I'm going to end at that point. I don't know how much time I have, but thanks for letting me share. Perfect. <laughs> uh, Mark, love thank you, you so much. Oh, I love you too. That was absolutely superb. I'm just going to read a part of the big book. Don't stop the recording. I'll, I'll read this out. I always ask higher power for something that's relevant to the share. And I just, he just told me to go to twice twice gifted page 475 in the big book my physical being has certainly under, undergone a transformation but the major transformation has been spiritual the hopelessness has been replaced by abundant hope and sincere faith 
The people of OA have provided a haven where if I remain aware and keep my mind quiet enough, my higher power leads me to amazing realizations. I find joy in my daily life and being of service and simply being. I have found rooms full of wonderful people. And for me, each and every one of the big books promises have come true. The things that I have learned from my own experience from the big book and from my friends in OA and AA, patience, acceptance, honesty, humility, and true faith in a power greater than myself are the tools I use to live my life, this precious life. Today, my life is filled with miracles, big and small, not one of which would ever have come to pass had I not found the door of Alcoholics Anonymous, Overeaters Anonymous. 